Amen. Amen. Let's get into God's Word this morning, shall we? Um, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. The Gospel of John chapter 12. I want to bring you a message this morning called, For This Cause. For This Cause. If I'm really honest with you this morning, I think that this message might be a very challenging message for most of us. You know, there are some weeks when we jump into God's Word and we get an inspiring message, an encouraging message, an uplifting message, and I believe that this can be all of those things. I think sometimes we come to church and we hear an affirming message where it meets us right where we're at in our walk with God and it says, keep on going. But then there are other times when we jump into the Word of God and to be very frank, it can be challenging. See, here's the thing. When we come into God's house, when we come into this relationship with God, we can come as we are, but we can't stay the same. Let me say that again so that somebody will just like say amen or something. We can come into this relationship with God the way that we are, but we cannot stay the same. Amen. amen. Everybody's got coffee. We're good, right? All right, but here's the thing. This message, I think, is going to be a little bit challenging for a lot of us because it's going to encourage us and inspire us to maybe go a little bit further than we have in our walk with God before. It's, a, it's kind of a self-analysis of where we are in our walk with God. So here's what I want to read to you. John chapter 12, starting in verse 20. It says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. This is talking about the Passover feast. It was an annual custom to celebrate the, the Passover feast among the Jews. So in Israel, they were celebrating the Passover feast. And there was a certain group of Greek men that came to celebrate the Passover, and we know that, I know some, some people are like, why, is, why do we know they were men? Because usually it was only men, and you know, sadly that were recorded in Scripture. But these men came from somewhere else to be a part of the Passover feast. And as they came, Scripture doesn't tell us if these men were Jews who came from Greece. It doesn't say if they were Greeks who converted to Judaism. All we know is that people had come from afar off to meet Jesus. And then it goes on and it said that they wanted to worship with them at the feast. Now look at verse 21. Then those Greek men came to Philip who was born, or excuse me, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee and asked him saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now I think it's important to just stop right here and say this. This morning there are so many different reasons and different ways that we could have come here. There are probably different reasons, different circumstances, different things happening in all of our lives. Maybe you're here this morning because somebody invited you. Maybe you're here this morning because as a Christian you know that you need to be in God's house. Maybe you're here this morning because there's some seriously difficult things going on in your life and when you woke up today you thought, the only place I know to go is to the house of God. We can come here this morning for so many different reasons, but let me just tell you that the greatest reason we could possibly come into God's house is because we want to see Jesus. Amen? Greatest reason for being here today. Now, let's read on. Look at verse 22. So Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. They told him, there's these Greek men that want to come and see you. They want to come have a few minutes of your time. Jesus, do you have a few moments for these Greeks who have come from afar off to see you? And look at Jesus' answer. In verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Does that sound like an answer to the question? <laughs> These Greek men have come because they want to spend a few minutes with you, Jesus. Do you have some time for them, Jesus? Can you spare just a few moments? And Jesus replied, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. I want to ask you a really serious question this morning that might help you to evaluate where you're at in your walk with God and in your journey of faith. And the question is simply this. What is the cause that you are living for? What is the cause that you 
are living for. You know, this day and age in which we live, there are so many different causes that people are giving their time and giving their lives to. There are a lot of causes out there that so many people find to be so important that they give all of themselves to it. In fact, there are some causes out there that some people find so important that they want you to come alongside them and give your time and your money and your energy to their cause. But I want to ask you this morning personally, what cause are you living for? Maybe another way of understanding this question would be to put it in context according to what's happening here in John chapter 12. If you knew that your time on this earth was limited, if you knew that you only had a few days, a few hours, a few moments left on this earth, what would you do with the time that you had? And I don't ask you that question to be morbid or to give you any sense of fear at all. We know that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I want to make it very clear, I'm not bringing this up at all to talk and refer to what we were talking about a little earlier in our service. This was actually a part of the message today. But what would you do if you knew that the clock was ticking? What if you knew that with every day, with every moment, with every second, that number was getting smaller and smaller? I think one of the revelations I had as I thought about this this week was that I wouldn't spend my time doing too many things. I would probably invest my time in the things that were most important to me. What would you want to say to the people that you love? What would you want to relay to the people in your world, the people that you care about? And maybe more importantly, what would you want to leave leave behind when your life had come to an end? All of this is the context of the moment that Jesus is in in John chapter 12. And if you look at Jesus' life, he had three full or so years of ministry on this earth, of ministry. And during that time, Jesus had such focus. He didn't let distractions, he didn't let details, he didn't let these things that didn't matter get in his way. Instead, Jesus pursued the purpose that God had put him on this earth to accomplish and put everything else aside. But when we see him arrive here at John chapter 12, it's really interesting how Jesus' focus begins to really narrow in because Jesus knows that his days are getting shorter. He knows that his time is about to come. It's as if Jesus can suddenly look ahead and see that the finish line is in sight. So Jesus knows every moment is valuable. Every moment matters. And he has to not just spend his time doing things. He needs to invest his time in things that are going to outlive him. Does that make sense to everybody? It's important for us to understand as Christians that we are not promised any certain amount of time in this life. I mean, there are all kinds of scriptures and things that we see throughout the Bible where if we walk with God, he will prolong our days. And I believe that. I'm praying and believing that God will give me long life. But here's the truth. None of us know how much time we have on this earth. And so if we have a clear understanding of that day in and day out, there are a lot of things we would not spend our time doing. Instead, there are many other things we would invest our time doing that would outlive us once we were gone. I think it's so important that we have an awakening as the people of God that, tell, that tells us that the time we have on this earth matters. Let me just say that again. The time that we have on this earth, it matters. It counts for something that's more than time. It counts for all of eternity. And even if you're somebody who gets to live decades on this earth, you live, say, to be 100 years old, 100 plus. Moses was 120. You know, Pastor Gary, my dad, he says all the time, man, I'm shooting for 120. Listen, you better be healthy at 120, otherwise life might be miserable, okay? But here's the deal. Some of us, man, if we're blessed to have 100 years or so on this earth, what an amazing blessing from God. But the interesting thing is, is that 100 years is a small blip on the map of eternity, It's a very, very small speck on the map of eternity. And so it doesn't matter if you have 40 years, 50 years, 75 years, or 100 years. We have to invest our time knowing that what we do with time counts for eternity. 
Jesus knew his time was drawing near. The time has come. My days are being shortened. There's an hour coming where I'm going to fulfill the purpose for which I was sent. And I believe that today Jesus wants us to know that we need to make sure we are valuing the time that we have on this earth. Jesus looked at his disciples and most likely a few other people that were surrounding him at the Passover feast and began to talk about the things which matter most. Now, let's go a little bit further. Let's look at verse 24. Let's see what Jesus has to say going forward. Verse 24, Jesus responds and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, there's two things that Jesus is doing here. First of all, he's foreshadowing the fact that he's about to go to the cross and die. Jesus' disciples understood that there was a time coming where he was going to lay down his life because he had told them about it. And they knew that one day that day was out there, but now it sounds like it's getting a little bit closer. And so Jesus sees the finish line in sight, and he starts talking about the importance of this. But then Jesus uses this illustration where he says this very, very simply. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus uses this analogy, this illustration to simply say that a grain of wheat that is not planted, but it only lives for itself. It's never laid down in offering. It's never laid down in sacrifice. It's never buried and put down into the ground. It only lives for itself and nothing follows it that, that leaves a legacy of what that grain represented. And he's given this simple illustration, but he's really talking about his life. And what he's saying is that I'm about to lay down my life, and by laying down my life, it is going to be a seed which God is going to bring a multiplied harvest into the earth. How many people know that because of Jesus, we are all here today walking in salvation? Are you grateful for that today? So Jesus is trying to illustrate this to his disciples. Now imagine if you were one of his disciples. You've heard him talking about this. You didn't know when the day was going to come. But either way, it was really difficult for the disciples to get their head around the idea that this man who they believed to, the, to be the Messiah, this man who had given them purpose, this man that they walked with, talked with, lived with day in and day out, this man was no longer going to be with them. The disciples had to think about it. They had to consider that. They had to ponder that. The time is coming where Jesus is going to go away. So he's planting this idea in their mind and letting them know, if I don't go, there can't be this great harvest that follows. But it gets even more interesting here because Jesus stops talking just about himself and then he starts talking to the disciples or I would even say in today's context, he starts talking to us. Look at verse 25. Jesus goes on. He says, he who loves his life will lose it and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26, if anyone, everybody say anyone. That means any of us. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. What Jesus was saying earlier was nice. Hey, I'm going to go and I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to be a seed that goes into the ground that brings about a multiplied harvest. The disciples were having a hard time dealing with it, but they had to get an understanding of it. But now... Jesus starts talking to them and says that if you want to be my disciple, then you are going to have to follow me. This is kind of like Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet and saying, listen, this is going to require more of you than just believing. It's actually going to require action if you want to be a follower of mine in your lives. And I want to ask you a couple of questions just real quick. You know, again, in verse 26, Jesus says, if anyone, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Okay, here's the question. 
How many people here right now, show of hands, would say, in this life, I want it to be said of me that I was serving Jesus? Is that all of us? <laughs> Now's your opportunity to raise your hand. Okay, second question, show of hands. How many people in this place today would want it to be said of your life that you were a follower of Christ? Have you stopped to think about what that means? Have you stopped to think about what it entails to be a follower of Christ? Because Jesus says right here, after he talks about how his life is going to be laid down, he says, and if you want to serve me, then you need to follow me. Whoa. You mean you're asking me to lay my life down too? Well, here's where you can rest easy. You're not called to go to the cross and bear the sins of the world, okay? Can we all just like take a deep breath and exhale and say, okay, that's good, because I couldn't do what Jesus did. We aren't the son of God. We're not chosen and called to do that. We didn't leave the, live uh, sinless, spotless lives. We're not called to do what Jesus did. But Jesus says, if you want to serve me, you need to follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to serve him in following in his footsteps? Listen to this. This is what Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 says. Jesus talking again. If anyone desires to come after me, there we see that word anyone again. He's not just talking to the, the disciples who would become the apostles. He's talking to all who are afar off. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So what does it mean to deny ourselves and take up our cross? I, I love this quote. This is from Billy Graham, the late Reverend Billy Graham. He said this. He said, denying ourselves and taking up our cross means putting to death our own plans and committing ourselves to God's will for our lives daily. Putting to death our own plans and our own will to pick up God's will daily? Man, that sounds like such a terribly difficult thing to do, but Jesus literally says, if you want to serve me, then you're going to have to follow me in this way. And I'm like immediately conflicted because when I look at this, I begin to realize that there might be areas of my life where I'm serving my will more than I'm serving God's. I'm immediately conflicted because I immediately realize that maybe I'm serving my plans rather than serving God's. Maybe the purposes that I feel like I'm pursuing are different than the ones that God has for me. And I just want to ask you a few questions this morning. Are your desires, are my desires for my life standing in the way of God's desires for my life? Are my plans for my life standing in the way of God's plans for my life? Because if so, then I must believe that my desires, my plans, and my purposes are greater than God's. But I know that's not the case. I know that God has better plans. He has better purposes. He has greater desires for my life than I have for myself. But isn't it interesting how often we find ourselves serving our own purposes and serving our own desires? And I think that if we're walking with God on a daily basis, if we're in relationship with God, if we're in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, if we're spending time in God's word, there comes a time where the path we've set for ourselves intersects with the path that God has for us and we are faced with a difficult decision. Do I continue to chase after what I want for my life or do I give up and chase after what God has for my life? Listen to this. This is interesting. Jesus also said this in Luke 14. In verse 27, he said, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's heavy. I mean, all the Christians in the house, that's heavy. That's like taking a deep, long look in the mirror and saying, Am I doing this thing the right way? 
And it's tough to look in the mirror and ask the question, am I denying self and taking up my cross and pursuing what Jesus has for my life, following in his footsteps? Because if I'm not, can I really truly say that I'm his disciple? I was looking up that word disciple this week. The word disciple, it comes from a Latin word, which is disciplus, okay? And that word goes into two directions in the English language. One is for disciple, and the other one is for discipline. I don't think that's a coincidence. Because one of the disciplines of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is having that discipline when we are laying down our own pride, our own self-will, our own self-interest, crucifying that, putting that to death, and taking up the purposes that God has for our life. That's literally what it means to follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus laid his life down for us. If we want to be his disciples, we have to follow him in that. Now, I think about that, and I'm just so conflicted because so much of what we hear taught to us, it seems like is, well, God wants us to have this super happy, fulfilled life where God's there to serve me and give me everything that I want, and I just push the button and out pops the thing that I'm hoping for, and that's what a walk with God looks like. Well, can I tell you something this morning? I believe that God wants you to live a happy and fulfilled life. In fact, Psalm 37 says that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. That's good news, right? But here's the thing that we sometimes fail to miss. If you look at that in the original context, what it really means is if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us our desires. It's like God says, I'll tell you what your desires are going to be. If you're delighting in me, your desires are going to pass away, and I'm going to fill your heart with the desires that I have for your life. And that's where we find the ultimate fulfillment in life is when we set that down, we delight ourselves in God, we take up his desires and pursue that kind of fulfillment. But again, that's difficult. And I know a lot of people, you know, like sometimes when you hear this message preached about denying yourself and take up your cross, the way that this can be received sometimes is it's almost like someone saying, well, God's the God of no fun. I'll tell you what, like, man, God just wants me to walk through life miserable. It's really going to suck serving God. But, you know, I'm just going to deny my flesh. I'm going to take up my cross. And I'm not going to be happy about it. But when I stand before him one day, at least I know I'll have heaven. God has way, way more for you. And God is a way, way better God than that. Because he wants to give you his desires, which bring about his fulfillment. And we find ourselves at that intersection of saying, how do I deny myself? How do I take up my cross? How do I put to death these other desires so I can pick up God's? That's an incredibly difficult thing to get your head around. It's tough. How do I do it? Here's the funny thing. Jesus goes on and begins to talk about this. Now, look at John 12. Back to John 12. Look at verse 27. Jesus says these words. He says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Jesus is talking about the fact that he's about to go to the cross. He says, now my soul is troubled because of what's in front of me. Every time you see that in scripture where it talks about my soul is troubled, it's talking about our minds, our will, our emotions. Here's the beauty of this picture, okay? This is what you need to understand about the amazingness of our God, the beauty of Jesus. Isaiah, when he prophesied about Jesus coming to the earth and being the Messiah, Isaiah said that he was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with suffering and with grief. In other words, there is no challenge that you have ever gone through or will ever go through that Jesus did not understand and walk through himself. Isn't it good to know that the Savior who was sent into this world to save us is well acquainted with the things that we have gone through? God's not saying take up your cross and follow me through something that I've never done before. No, Jesus is standing here becoming vulnerable in his humanity and saying, I see the finish line in front of me. I know that my days are numbered. I know that the time I have left is incredibly valuable. But if I'm really honest, my mind, my will, and my emotions are suffering because this is going to be really hard to go and lay down my life. 
It's interesting that it says soul because it doesn't say anything about spirit. I think Jesus, his spirit was settled on this is the purpose. This is what's before me. This is what I'm supposed to go and do. But just like us in his mind, in his own will, in his own emotions, think about his physical body, knowing the torture he's about to go through. Jesus says, if I'm honest, this is going to be really tough. But look what he goes on and says here, because right when we think that it's okay for us to quit, when we think that it's a fight that we don't want to fight, that it's not worth it, look what Jesus says next. He says, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? And he goes on and he says something so profound. He says, but for this purpose, the King James says, for this cause, I came to the earth. In other words, when Jesus is standing there knowing that his days are numbered and the finish line in sight, Jesus says, man, I'm so conflicted because it's going to be so hard to deny myself, to take up my cross and go and do this. But the finish line is right over there, and I know that this is what I came to earth to do. And when he told that story, used that illustration of the, of the, uh, the grain of wheat, its purpose is to come and to die so that something can outlive it once it's gone. Jesus uses that example and knows right then and there that the reason he came to this earth was to die. Think about this for a moment. Jesus was born to die. Now, I know for a lot of us, we're like, wait, hold on. God, death, is God's will that someone should die? It was God's will that Jesus should die the death that you and I deserved. But because he was sinless, because he was spotless, God accepted that sacrifice, and three days later, he rose Jesus from the dead. That's why we have salvation. But what's so crazy about this picture is that Jesus gets there and recognizes it's just going to be so hard to go through with this, but how could I not go through with it? Because this was the purpose. For this cause, I came to this earth. And when we stop and we look at our own Christian walk and we talk about this idea of denying self and taking up our cross, I'll tell you something, that conflict between my will and God's will for self-centeredness and the purposes that God has for me will always bring us to a place where when we see the finish line in front of us, we want to quit because we have a hard time when we begin to count the cost. But God doesn't want us to quit. Why? Because in the same way that it was for, for this cause that Jesus came to this earth, let me tell you something, it was for this cause that you and I were created also, that we would come and just like Jesus, lay down our lives. That we would lay down our lives. That's literally why we were put here on this earth. And some of us, we have a bad idea of what that means because we hear it and we think about like, you know, fanatical religion and um, extremism and we hear about people who take other people's lives or take their own life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about denying self, laying down our lives to serve others and serve the God who put us on this earth so that other people will know Jesus. That's why you and I were put on this earth to bring glory to God. And when Jesus looks at it and says, should I ask for God to save me? No. For this cause, I was sent to this earth. Now, let's just take a sidebar here real quick because as I was reading this, I was reminded of a really cool passage of scripture. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, right? Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, right? Like, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to own a Bible. Like, most people know the story of David and Goliath. In the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17 Scripture tells us that David is sent by his father to go out to the battlefield to take food to his brothers and see how his brothers are doing. So he gets out there, and when he gets there, what he sees is that the Israelite army is just sitting there making no progress. They're all just bound by fear because they see this giant out there who's telling them how terrible they are, just daring them to come out and fight him. They know that none of them can beat him 
on their own. And not only that, but that giant Goliath is going a step further and he's cursing their God. And so David walks out onto the field and, you know, David's just there to take some food to his brothers, right? And what's so interesting is when David gets out there, he sees that no one's fighting. He sees that they're all just sitting there. He sees that they're not doing anything with their time. In fact, they're just listening to the big giant taunt them and curse the name of their God. And inside, something's just stirring inside of David. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, is nobody willing to fight this guy? And scripture says that David begins to speak up. And he says, is there nobody in Israel who's willing to fight this man? I mean, this guy that just goes on and on and on, cursing us and cursing our God. Who does this guy think he is? Is there no one willing to fight? And it says that his oldest brother looked at David and he's like, David, just shut up. Just go home, David. We've been sitting out here for days and this guy is just taunting us. He's telling us about how small we are compared to him. He's cursing our God. We know we don't have anybody in this camp that can take this guy on. And they're just sitting there in this state of defeat. And David looks out and he asks this question. He says, is there not a cause worth dying for? And I went back and read this and I was so blown away at the way that David says this. Is there not a cause worth dying for? Because it was almost as if David said, you know, this giant standing over there taunting not just us, but he's taunting the God that we serve, the God that put us on this earth, the God that we are living for. That's who this giant is speaking against. And even if I were to lose this battle, I can't think of a better way to die than to lay down my life fighting for the name of my God who this giant is provoking. And I love that attitude that David had because we know the rest of the story. We know that David was good with the sling and the stone. We know that he threw it at Goliath. He knocked him down. He killed him. He cut off his head. He brought his head back to camp. He's like, hey, look what I got. We won the battle. I mean, we know how this story ends. But the thing is, not many people, nobody else in Israel was willing to stand up and say, there is a cause that is worth dying for except for one man. And he didn't even lose his life, but he was willing to lose it because he knew it was a worthy cause. Here's what's interesting about this. I told you earlier, there are so many causes, man. There are so many people trying to get you to give to this, to give your time to that, your money to this, to that, whatever. You know, to take up this cause, because this is important. This is a good cause. And if you give to it, you know, it's going to a good cause. Like, you hear that all the time. And there are certain things that, yes, they're worth giving to. There are certain things that are worth supporting. I'll say this, though. There aren't many things that are worth living for. And as far as I'm concerned... There's only one or two things that are worth dying for. David looked at the cause that was before him and said, there's a cause that's worth dying for. And when I asked you earlier, what cause are you living for? Maybe the better question that we could have asked was, what is the cause that you are dying for? Because when Jesus says, if you want to serve me, if you want to be my disciple, you got to follow me. you got to take up your cross. you got to deny yourself to follow me. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if we're choosing our own interests over the interests and the plans and the purposes that God has, is it possible that somewhere along the way in our walk with God, we miss the boat? Is it possible? And when we read on, there's so many interesting things to be found in this passage of Scripture, but I want to read these last three verses to you real quick. Jesus goes on and he says these words. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, listen to these words, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This he said, signifying by what death 
he would die. So there's really two things that are being said in this last passage of Scripture that we just read. First of all, Jesus is talking about how it is that he's going to die. He's going to be lifted up from the earth. The people who heard him say this, specifically his disciples, understood he was talking about crucifixion. But there's a beautiful, beautiful figurative thing that Jesus is also saying here too that we all have to catch. Jesus is telling them that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And he says all of this right after he talked to them about laying their lives down. So let me ask you that question again. What is it that's worth dying for? I heard a pastor say years ago, he said, what is the only thing worth dying for? What is the only thing worth dying for? And he came back later and answered that question by saying, the only thing worth dying for is the purpose for which you were made. That's exactly what Jesus just said in this passage. He sees the finish line. It's going to be tough. I'm going to have to make some hard calls. But the only thing that's worth dying for is the purpose for which I was sent to this earth. Can I tell you that just like Jesus, you and I were sent to this earth with a purpose. And it was to lay our lives down to God so that others could see Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. What kind of life would, look, would it look like? What would it look like if we lived our lives where we were laying down ourselves, we were lifting up the cross, we would see people being drawn to Jesus all around us. Rather than pursuing our own desires, pursuing our own interests, pursuing our own purposes, which are here today and gone tomorrow. We live our time on this earth, which has eternal value. We lay ourselves down, we lift up the cross, and we allow God to do the work that only he can do, which is to draw men unto himself. You know, when Jesus told that story about the grain of wheat being thrown down into the ground, it dies so that there can be a harvest, a multiplied harvest that follows it. You know, that's a work that only God can do. It really is. You know, it says in, in Genesis that from the beginning of time, God made this law that there would be seed time and harvest. It's the same principle, and Jesus is talking about it right here in John 12. And I think sometimes we look around and what we think is that we have to be the ones who are responsible for the harvest that our lives produce. Only God can do that. God's asking us to simply do one thing. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And if we get that revelation when we choose to serve God and serve others, lay things aside, and pursue the purpose for which we were made, we can trust that God will take our lives and bring about a multiplied harvest that we could never, ever create on our own. Amen? You know, in closing this morning, the very last thought that I had as you know, I was preparing for this message this week, like we said earlier, this has been a real heavy week here in our church. And, you know, as a staff and people who serve on the, our team here in, in the church, and we found out that our pastor, our founding pastor, Pastor Roger, had passed away. And it was hard news to hear. And when we thought just about his legacy and his investment and the life that he lived, it was so hard to not just look around this place and think, oh my gosh, like none of this would be here if it wasn't for his obedience and choice to just lay down his life to see the church grow and the kingdom of God be built here in the Temecula Valley alongside all the other amazing churches that are around here. But here's the thing. Here we are 34 years down the road, and I remember when Pastor Roger and Pastor Evie were here last summer, we were sitting around a table one night and we were talking, and they said, when we moved to Temecula, there were 6,000 people in Temecula. How many know there's a whole lot more people than that there today? Some of you guys are like all still upset about the traffic by the mall yesterday. You're like, oh my God, like I just avoid Winchester at all costs. But <laughs> well, what's interesting about it is when they made that decision to lay their lives down, to respond to the call of God, 
and build and plant this church, there's no way at the time that they made that decision that they could have foreseen 34 years down the road this many people in this room and the amount of people that have come through this church and the impact that it's made in so many other people. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. By making the decision to lay your life down just like that grain of wheat, we put the future in God's hands and we allow him to bring about a harvest that we might not be able to live and see with our own eyes, but we can trust we're investing in something that is going to outlive us. Because during the time that we're here, we chose to have an eternal perspective, lay our lives down, deny self, take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's the greatest purpose that we could ever live for. But even more than that, it's the greatest purpose that we could ever die for. The greatest purpose we could ever lay ourselves down for is to lift up the cross of Jesus and see him draw people unto himself. My prayer is that for each and every one of us who are here this morning, that when we take a look in the mirror, when we look at our walk with God, that we would all be inspired and that we would all be encouraged to know that if we would just choose daily to make those decisions, make the tough calls, even when it seems hard, denying self, taking up our cross and following Jesus, even in those tough moments, if we can envision, if we can look ahead and trust God with the harvest that will follow our investment, he will do something so much greater with our lives than we could have ever done with our lives on our own. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I'm so grateful to you for this church. I'm so grateful to you for the people that are a part of this church. God, every single person that's here today, they are so precious to you. You have such an amazing plan for their life. So many of them have tapped into that and are discovering it day by day, but then others who might be here that maybe they don't even know about it yet. I pray, God, that as we look at your word, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, and as we choose to follow you, even when it's tough to deny our mind and our will and our emotions and our feelings, that we would choose to deny self, take up our cross, and follow you because we know that by laying ourselves down and lifting up the cross of Jesus, we're accomplishing the greatest purpose that could ever be set before us. I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would give us eyes to see what you are doing through our lives that would give us hearts to care for the people that are in our world so that they might see Jesus through us. And God, even when it's tough, even when it's difficult, that we would go the extra mile, we would make the tough calls, and we would choose not to just believe in you, but to follow you in your death and in your glorious resurrection. In Jesus' name. Just another moment, I want to ask if you just keep your head bowed, maybe your eyes closed right there where you're at, just for a moment of privacy for everybody that's here. Not only that, I would love it. It would be so kind of you if you could just hang tight till the end of service. Please don't leave until service is over. Just a few more minutes. It's just out of respect for everybody else in the room. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to walk with God by accepting Jesus into your life, I want to tell you that he died for the opportunity to know you. Maybe you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you have preconceived ideas about God, but it's as simple as this. God loved you so much that in spite of anything wrong you could have ever done, how bad you might have missed the mark, he sent Jesus, his perfect son, in place for your imperfection. Scripture tells us that none of us are perfect. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's perfection. But God loved us so much that while we were lost in our own sin, he sent Jesus to the cross in exchange for our very worst. He gave us his very best. And all we would have to do is believe in that sacrifice, believe that Jesus went to the cross for our sin, believe that God raised him from the dead three days later, conquering death and hell in the grave for us. If we could believe that and then confess it with our mouth, we would walk into that relationship with God and step into the purposes and destinies that he has for our individual lives. 
If you're here this morning, you've never done that, but you want God's purpose, you want his forgiveness, you want his plan for your life, and you wanna know that when this life is over, you'll walk into an eternal relationship with him, you can do it by believing today and confessing today. We're gonna do that through a very, very simple prayer here in just a moment. We're all gonna pray it together. We're not gonna embarrass anybody or put anyone on the spot. In fact, this is a room full of people who have made this decision at some point in their life, and today they are so excited to see you make that decision for yourself. So I wanna invite everybody right now to pray with me a prayer right out loud. Just repeat these words. The words aren't special, but the commitment with your heart is incredibly significant. Right now, if you wanna come into a relationship with God or you wanna recommit your life to Christ, would you repeat these words? Everybody right out loud say these words. Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I believe in your sacrifice. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I want salvation. I want forgiveness. I want to know your purposes for my life, both now and for all of eternity. So today I choose you. I believe that you are my Savior. And I want you to become the Lord of my life. I will walk with you. I will learn your ways. And I will follow you into eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen.